Hello and welcome to the official podcast of Solid Ground Church, where every week we share messages recorded during our weekly gatherings in Lewis, Delaware. If you have questions or if we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now, let's get to this week's message. That the Holy Spirit uh, you know, empowers believers, and, and if you're a Christian, you're probably going to say, yeah. And most of the gifts you won't have a problem with. Like if I say, like, you believe the Holy Spirit empowers Christians to, like, use a gift of teaching. You're like, yeah, of course, right? Or a gift of mercy. Yeah, of course. Or a gift of uh, leadership. Yeah, of course. But then if I start going into the weird ones, um, maybe we, we tense up a little bit, right? So I say, like, do you believe the Holy Spirit uh, maybe gives a gift of tongues? And you go, like, right? Well, but it's identified as the activity of the Spirit. Or if I say, hey, do you believe the Holy Spirit gives gifts of prophecy? that becomes even a little bit more difficult. Some people you might think of that as like a psychic reading or some people, what they even do is they think of it, they think of it like, uh, I've, I've heard this argument. They go, they go like prophecy, like when you read about it in the New Testament is essentially the same thing as the gift of preaching. And what we're gonna discover today is that's just absolutely not the case. Like you can't make that argument from Acts. In fact, I just wanna sort of tell you the first time uh, I ever saw prophecy, or at least one of the first times I ever saw prophecy in practice blew my mind. Um, I was visiting a church in New Jersey, and uh, a couple friends and I, like, we didn't go to that church. Nobody knew us there, but we had heard they had a reputation for moving uh, in that particular gift, so we just kind of wanted to see what that was like. So we went into this, this church service, and you, and you guys know, like, particularly if you're new, like, you know, like, you, you walk into a church service, you don't know what to expect, right? You're kind of bracing yourself, like, are these people weird? Will they like me or not? Am I going to be comfortable? Am I not? Like, you, you just don't know, and I'm always, like, I always just, like, you know, hats off to anybody, like, Whoever tries out a church, because like you know, I, I've been here, I know what to expect. But it, like, if you're walking in, that takes a lot of guts. And and I, I've been there, so like we're visiting this church, and everybody's really really nice, and we just kind of like sleek into the back there, and we're near the back rows, and we kind of blend into the crowd, and we're just kind of happy to do that, you know. And worship's going on, and then there becomes this lull in worship, and like three or four people walk up on the stage, and uh, it's kind of blindsided us. Uh, this woman takes a microphone, and she just goes, uh, excuse me, to the ma- young man sitting back there, and she points to my friend who uh, at that time was in youth ministry. He comes in next to me, sitting down next to me, and, they, and they, we didn't talk to anybody about any of this. Like, they did not know us, and she just goes, hey, I feel like the Lord is telling me that um, he's about to bless you with success in the youth ministry and then the students that you're working with, and she begins, like, to outline all this stuff that she couldn't possibly have known, and my friend's like, oh, right? And then, I listen, I'm just gonna be honest with you. Like, I wish I was a good enough person to celebrate that and just leave it there. Be like, wow, Lord, thank you for blessing my friend. I did. I was selfish, man. So I was like, I, I was like, that's awesome. Praise God. Or you got anything for me? Like, like if, like if you're speaking in a place, like, do you have anything that you want to say to me? I kind of wondered on that, right? And so the first lady, she wraps up and she sits down and then somebody else comes up to the microphone and they just go, excuse me, to the, uh, to the young man who's standing next to him in the sweater, which was me. And she, and she goes, I feel like the Lord is saying, son, I hear you asking me, Lord, do you have anything you want to say to me? Oh, game on. And by the way, they recorded all of it. I took it home, like prayed on it, discerned. And I, I got to realize that like, it turns out the Bible is true. Like when it talks about in 1 Corinthians 14, that like when people prophesy the secrets of their hearts are laid bare and they will exclaim that God is among you. It turns out that's true. I didn't know. And so like, my, one of the reasons I, I want our church to move in the gifts of the Spirit is not because I want us to have superpowers, and it's not because I think it's like kind of a neat little like trick or anything like that. 
I, I think there's power and there's fruit in it. I think when the Lord moves and ministers to us in ways that only he can, we should rejoice in that. And that's what we're gonna see today in the book of Acts. We're gonna see this story that basically, uh, we're gonna see Paul uh, engaging in the gift of prophecy and not just him. And I want you to just from the jump, come up with a working definition of prophecy, okay? Like, so when I say that, cause like there's different things that different people mean with that. And so here's, I think this is pretty good. This comes from one of my favorite scholars. His name is Sam Storms. It's from his book called Understanding Spiritual Gifts. And this is his working definition of the gift of prophecy. And this is what I think is good for us. So it says, prophecy is the speaking forth in merely human words, something the Holy Spirit has sovereignly and often spontaneously revealed to a believer. Prophecy, therefore, is not based on a hunch, a supposition, an inference, an educated guess, or even sanctified wisdom. Prophecy is not based on personal insight or illumination. And love, love this last start, or sentence. Prophecy is the human report of a divine revelation. It's God speaking and a person reporting on what he said. Now, again, I recognize that maybe like, like particularly for us, because we're, we're from the West, we've, we, we were coming out of a culture of what's called cessationism, which was a belief that uh, the supernatural gifts of the spirit stopped with the, the death of the last of the apostles. That theology is dying, and I think it should, because I think it's unbiblical. But like still, a lot of us, when it comes to engaging God in, in those kinds of ways, we have no expectation for it, because many of us, we have no experience with it. And so, even as I say this, like what some people will be tempted to do is say, well, like, listen, Bert, like I can believe that theoretically exists, but there are more important things for us to focus on than spiritual gifts. And technically that's true. And yet I would just tell you that the Bible commands us to pursue the gifts of the spirit. Like you have Bible command. First Corinthians 14, one says this, pursue love. And all of us would say, yes, like pursue love. We should be loving people. But look at this second half. And this again, Bible command from Paul to the church. Earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And so when someone says to me, okay, listen, we should seek the giver and not the gifts, that is itself a false juxtaposition. To say, okay, listen, um, like we, we, we will only go after God and those gifts things are night, but we're gonna seek the giver and not the gifts. And the reason that is a mistake is because it fundamentally misunderstands what the scriptures say about gifts. So again, we have Bible command that in the pursuit of the giver and in the pursuit of loving our neighbors, we are to pursue spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. We just read it, but it's not isolated. How many of you guys remember not this past year, but the year before when we took a year going through 1 Corinthians. This verse that we would bring up over and over and over again, every time we talked about spiritual gift, was 1 Corinthians 12, 7, which says, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good, right? Like the Holy Spirit gives gifts for the, like the benefit of the church, for the common good. And this word, we said this over and over again, this word that we translate as manifestation is the Greek word phanerosis, it means an unveiling. It's a, it's a revealing of the presence of someone. Like in this room right now, there may be angels, and yet unless there's a revealing and unveiling, we wouldn't know it. And this is how Paul understands spiritual gifts. They are a revealing of the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so when we talk about like seeking gifts, you can't divide them from seeking the giver. It's a mistake, like, well, we should seek the giver and not the gifts. No, in seeking the giver, his presence is revealed in the manifestation, like the giving of the gifts. You're like, bro, I thought we were talking about the book of Acts. 
I had to set that up. Now we are, I promise. Okay, and just watch. You're going to see like these stories just one after another as we watch the presence of the Holy Spirit unveiled in the gift of prophecy. So in Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 17, it says this. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would not be, or, or that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And you go, yeah, absolutely. Now watch this next part, verse 22. And now, pay attention to this phrase, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me. I'm saying that the Holy Spirit is leading me and telling me, commanding, like compelled. I'm locked in to go to Jerusalem. What's he assuming? He's assuming that God is speaking and leading him to go somewhere, even though he doesn't know entirely what's gonna happen. Verse 23, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me, okay? So let's just backtrack, all right? He knows the Holy Spirit is telling him to go to Jerusalem. And that's really, really crucial to understand that like the Holy Spirit, like we just saw in verse 22, has commanded him to go to Jerusalem. And what he knows is that everywhere he goes, there's going to be hardship. Yay. Well, how does he bear through it? Look at verse 24. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Lastly, verse 25, it's kind of a somber moment. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. What's that mean? It means he knows he's going to die. It means he knows that there's never gonna be a reunion. These people who love him, and if you go forward in the narrative, they begin to weep and they have a tearful goodbye. So right now we see like the Holy Spirit is setting him on course that will ultimately lead to the end of his life. What's happened? The Spirit has spoken. There has been a spontaneous revelation. The Lord has said this, like this is where you're going. This is what I want you to do. But then the story takes an interesting turn. And I think it's important for us to note this, okay? So what's the first prophetic word? Go to Jerusalem. Okay, that's the first one. Now watch this. Verse 21, jump forward to chapter 21. It says this, starting verse one. After we had torn ourselves away from this, everybody's crying, they're snotting, Paul, we're gonna miss you. Oh man, thank you for blessing us. Ah, we gotta go, okay? All right, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara. Verse two, we found a ship over to Phoenicia and went on board to sail. After uh, sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria and we landed to Tyr uh, where our ship unloaded its cargo. Now, just they're going all over the place, but verse four is the kicker. We sought out the disciples and stayed with them seven days. This last line. Through the spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And that's an odd line, isn't it? Because the spirit has told Paul to go to Jerusalem. And Luke is clear that it's through the Holy Spirit that, 
that these guys are telling him not to go. So what's going on right here? I mean, this just seems odd, right? Like, is the Holy Spirit, he's not schizophrenic, and he's, he's not forgetful? Like, like, what does that mean? If, the, if it's through the Spirit, they're telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem, and, but yet Paul, in chapter 20, has, like, the Spirit has compelled him to go to Jerusalem. What's the disconnect? Well, the disconnect is this, okay? Through the Spirit, they're seeing something, but they're completely misinterpreting what's going on. In other words, through the Spirit, they see that Paul is going to suffer when he goes to Jerusalem. They, they see that it could be that he's going to be arrested or he's going to begin to go on course to martyrdom. The Spirit is revealing to them something about Paul's destiny. And yet, because they love Paul, they completely misinterpret what he is supposed to do. That's why you have this contradiction right here, because the Spirit has already compelled Paul to go to Jerusalem. But through that same Spirit, they're going, don't go. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has shown them that bad things are ahead for Paul in Jerusalem. And you go, well, how, how can that be? And the reason that can be is this. Because when we talk about dealing with the prophetic, and some of you guys, like, you, you've gone through our hearing God class, and we talk about this there. But when we talk about a prophetic word, when we talk about, like, okay, like, you know, the Lord speaks to you, and, okay, what do you do with that? There are three parts to it. And if you miss the second two, it will throw off the interpretation of the first. And so, look, here's the three parts to a prophetic word. Revelation interpretation, and application. Let me say that again. Revelation, interpretation, and application. Revelation, what God has said, okay? And if it's from the Lord, it will be without error because God doesn't make mistakes. But there's also interpretation, what it means. Okay, so like you see something, but you don't know what to do with it. And then application, what you do with what you saw. All right, and so what we see here with, with these believers, what's happening is this. They've received a sincere revelation from the Lord, okay, that bad things are happening for, for Paul, but they've misinterpreted it and thus are having a bad application. So they're going like, don't go. Well, that's the bad application. So what we see right here, okay, listen, like even though the Spirit speaks, like we can gum it up, which is why, by the way, any prophetic word should always be tested against the Scriptures because the Scriptures are without error, but we are not. Okay, like the scripture, like, so no, I'm not saying that like, like anybody got anything wrong with the Bible. No, the Bible is completely without error, which is why if the Holy Spirit has spoken anything, it will line up with scripture. If it doesn't, it's not from God. But here, in, yet in our fallible way, I've received things, and we have scriptural precedent for this, where people hear from God and they mess up the interpretation. And I've learned this the hard way. <laughs> I remember years ago, I, I was serving on uh, the prophetic team at, at our church in Massachusetts, and, um, and I was new in this. I'm listening, for, like, Lord, what are you going to say, right? And, and, and one day, uh, uh, this group of girls came in, and um, a weird thing with, with our church that we, we were known for, for prophetic stuff, and so you'd have people there kind of like, they, they would sort of like run by, they wanted words, but they would like, they, you know what I'm saying? Like, they, they wanted you to tell God or tell them something from God, but they wouldn't necessarily take the time to seek God for themselves. And, and you, you kind of have to work with that and be graceful. Like nobody should ever trade a prophetic word for the privilege of, of hearing God for themselves. But uh, these people came in and, and this one girl came forward and, and I didn't know her. And when she came forward for prayer, I just had this, uh, I just saw this vision of her um, like in like a unitard dancing on a stage. And she had this like really nervous look on her face. And that was it. And that's really awkward to say to a stranger. So I'm like, oh, man, like, how, how do you say, like, I see you in a unitar dancing, like, like she's going to be like, creeper, like, I, 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 I don't know what to say, so I'm just like, so I'm, in my head, I invent an interpretation and an application, big no-no, I'm trying to save face, and so I just went, 
Um, hey, so while we were praying, I saw you on a stage, and you were in this unitar, and you were dancing, and you had this nervous look on her face. And when I said that, her eyes went really wide. And I was like, oh, gosh, she thinks I'm the worst right now. Like, oh, jeez. And, like, what, what I think it means is that, you know, like, maybe, like, you're dancing through life, and you're nervous about some things, but, that, like, God's going to take care of you. So I invented an interpretation and an application. That's bad. Don't do that. But she was graceful, and she just went, well, actually, no, um, I'm in a dance troupe. And uh, we have a recital on Tuesday, and I've been really, really nervous about it. Okay. I should just shut my big mouth. Right? But what happened? Got revelation, didn't have interpretation and application. And that's actually what these people are doing right here. They, they hear correctly, and yet they get it wrong. And something else just to note, by the way, is that everybody who prophesies in the story, like, like in chapter 21, is not an apostle. They're just unnamed Christians. This is important sometimes because what people do is they relegate the activity of the Spirit and they think that like, God only does supernatural things through the apostles. That's a mistake to read it that way. Look, let's just remember it. All the way back in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit's poured out, do you remember how Peter said things would go as, he, as he's interpreting Joel 2 to the people in Jerusalem? He says this in Acts 2 verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on who? Who? All people, Right? And your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Did we lose that? We lost it? Okay. All right. That's what it says there. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Okay. And that's just on par with the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And so let's just expect that, that, that okay, like, no, every, like every believer, like there, there are gifts that are poured out to all the believers, not just, hey, let me say it this way, not just church leaders. This is for all of us in the body. And so, okay, so what happens is this. Going forward, um, uh, the, now Paul leaves with those other believers and, and he continues and he goes uh, into, well, let's continue. Keep going in chapter 20, verse seven. I'm sorry, Terry, I jumped ahead there. All right, so verse seven says this. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed in, fun time saying that word, Ptolemais, where we were greeted with brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Verse seven, leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, who we've read about earlier in Acts, one of the seven. Um, and there's seven like deacons. They're people who, right, they serve tables and they're taking care of widows and what have you. And look at verse nine. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And what did they prophesy? We don't know. Because in the church, like prophetic words were never on par with scripture. They were okay with stuff being lost to history because they were personal applications. And that's what we see right here. Again, is it, is it four apostles that prophesy? No, it's just four, Philip's four unmarried daughters. Okay, so what have we seen? Well, we've seen, like, the, like, it started with, like, we saw Paul, and he got a word, and then he went over, and they, they met with church leaders, and, and they were prophesying. Now we see uh, Philip's daughters, and, and they're prophesying. I mean, like, we've got three in a row right now, but it's still not done. Look, again, so story goes forward, and, and we're going to jump down to verse 10. And it says this. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Verse 11, coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, and tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Okay, can we see, by the way, how this can't be the same thing as preaching? Right? You see the predictive nature. You see the like disclosing things that God alone 
would know. Listen, I preach a lot of messages. I've never like symbolically bound my hands and been like, Justin, in three days time, you will be arrested. Like, I'm not saying that, bro. You're gonna be fine. But like, it, it's, but no, right? It, it's just different. And so we have, again, this spontaneous revelation and unveiling of the presence of the Spirit with something that God alone could do. And the question becomes, okay, so what happens? Well, you jump forward in chapter 21, go to 27, here's what happens. When seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law in this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They previously seen Trophimus and uh, the Ephesian in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. So what they're saying is like, like Paul didn't actually do that, but they're jumping to conclusions about him. They're throwing shade his way. Verse 30, the whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions, seizing Paul, They dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut. And while they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He he at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Verse 33, the commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing, some another. Since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. Paul reached the steps. The violence of the mob was so great that he had to be carried by the soldiers. There we go. Paul taken into custody. And that is the end of his freedom for the rest of the book of Acts. And possibly his life. And we have this moment where before any of it happened, God said that it would. Right? And you're like, okay, well, so what's the point? Why do you have this string of prophetic stories happening? And the answer is because a word from the Lord makes all the difference. What do you think that did for Paul? Like when, when, when he's beaten within an inch of his life or when he's thrown in prison or when he's lied about by his countrymen. What do you think that did? To know, hey, God said this was gonna happen before it did. And he's not surprised. And I'm exactly where I should be. What do you think that did? Probably did a lot, right? Which is again why I would argue to you that we should be rooted in the word and empowered by the spirit because a word from the Lord that shows us something that only he could know that stops us in our tracks does so much ministry and reassurance to our hearts. One one of the easy things that it would be to do is is to look at the messiness of all this spiritual gift stuff and be like, that's unsafe, let me just throw it away. And I understand why you'd make that conclusion because you're not used to it and it might make you feel a little bit uncomfortable because most of us, when it comes to the spirituality that we've inherited, it's not biblical Christianity, it's essentially behavior modification. It's okay, listen, like here are some things to know. And then once you know these things, here are some ways to make yourself better. It's essentially a Christian version of a TED talk. And what I'm telling you is that's not the faith of the Bible. 
It's certainly not the faith of the last 2,000 years. I love, a few years ago, I heard Matt Chandler say it like this. I've never forgotten. He said, the church of Jesus has always been a supernatural community to the point where it is more odd when she isn't than when she is. That's just, it's, it's just true. It's why when you go through church history, you find that the miraculous never stops. You know why? Because the Lord has never abandoned his church. And the reality is that we serve a living God. Now, I know if you're not used to this, what happens is that you become like, okay, but what about this? Then what about this? And what about this? I go, yeah, there's all kinds of messes. That's right. Nurseries are messy. But cemeteries are clean. I'll take the nursery. I would rather have the messy thing and do what the Bible commands me to do than just play it safe. Let's not forget that we've read biblical commands to pursue the gifts of the Spirit. We saw it in 1 Corinthians 14. Let me give you another one. This is, again, a command of Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. Do not quench the Spirit. What does that look like? He immediately applies it. Do not treat prophecies with contempt but test them all. You can translate that. Do not get rid of prophecies, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. That is a biblical command to the church. Don't quench the spirit. Hey, how many of you know that the answer to messes of spiritual gifts is not to get rid of gifts, but to exercise them properly? Do you know that? Like the, the way that we do the prophetic well is to not never do the prophetic, it's to treat it with discernment and to test what is said. That's what that passage we just read teaches. Look, hey, how many of you um, have ever heard of somebody being a false teacher? You've seen somebody and they use their platform and maybe, maybe they taught things that were unbiblical or maybe they used their platform to abuse people. Would you rightfully conclude that there's no place for teaching in the church? You wouldn't do it, right? Why? Because you recognize that there's a place for it, that the Lord has given that gift. And I would just tell you, you need to tread very, very carefully when you, when you decide, okay, like here are things that the scriptures clearly identify with the activity of the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna say no thank you. Like, hold on. Do you recognize what you're saying there? To go like, okay, yeah, I know the Bible says that. I know the Bible says that. Okay, yeah, there might be these commands here, but I'm just uncomfortable. Are you a Christian or not? Like, do you want the living God or not? Like, is he your Lord? Do you go where he says, or are you going to demand that he goes where you say? You don't have that option if you're in Christ. Like, no, no, we do what the Spirit says. We go where the Spirit leads, and we gauge that and judge that by what the Bible says. And we have just read a command to not get rid of prophecy. And we've just read a command to not quench the Holy Spirit. And we've just read a command to test what is said, because here's the other part of this. It is not unspiritual to go, hey, I'm gonna have to pray about that. Let me think on that. Hey, let me submit that to somebody. Somebody says that, I feel like God is saying this. Great, we're gonna test that. It's not faithless on our part to practice discernment and to take a pause. That's important to know. You know, okay, why? Why do it? Like, why, why have this gift in operation? Why allow the space where there could be all this messiness and there could be all these people who might be wrong and they, and they might say this and there could be this. There could be, and, and what I would just tell you is wherever there is any gift, there is always a potential for its abuse and messiness, but that is not a reason to get rid of it. 
And you go, okay, but why? Why that one? Because the scripture tells you plainly what it can do for people. 1 Corinthians 14.3, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. That's why. So that through the voice of the Spirit, there may be brought to the church strength, encouragement, and comfort that the body of Christ would be built up through the power of the Lord. Look, one more story and then I'm done, okay? And some of you, you've heard me tell this story before. Um, I, I am grateful for how kind and consistent the Lord speaks prophetically. Sometimes in, in times when I'm just not even looking for it. Sometimes when I am. About a year ago, I was now a little bit more now. It's a year ago, July. Um, I was in Washington State for uh, a conference, and um, the whole time, like I'm, I'm there, and I, I knew the people who were putting it on, and I knew like uh, one guy in particular, like moved heavily. I mean, he, he is he operates in the office of prophet, and, and I'm sitting there, and I'm just like, that's cool, um, but but I haven't heard anything. I came here to hear from God. I haven't heard anything, and uh, and, and why would I? There's like 600 people there, like. Um, everybody's really, really busy, but I'm just sitting there. And we come to our last night during worship. I'm sitting in this room, and again, like 600 plus people. I'm sitting over on the far left, and I'm just becoming just discouraged. I'm just like, God, I, I just want to hear from you. More to the point, I don't know if it's going to make any sense to you. If, you. if you've ever had stuff that was spoken over you when you were younger, and maybe it hasn't come to pass yet, that can gnaw at you a little bit. I have words I was given, man, when I was 19. I'm 42 now. Still haven't happened. And you give it enough time, you start to think, you're like, man, like, okay, well, I know it was more than one person, and they, couldn't, and they didn't know each other, but like, was it, like, am I misinterpreting things? Am I wrong? Like, did, like am, am I looking for something that wasn't there? And I'm just sitting there, and I'm, I'm in this room, everybody's worshiping, and I'm out of the way in the dark, and I'm like, like, because the lights are dim, not like pitch black, you know, that'd be weird. But, over to the side, I'm just like, God, like, what about this, and what about that, and like, okay, so-and-so said this, and like, are, are you going to do it, and like, like, am, am I reading this wrong, am I, like, are you going to do these things that, that I, I felt like you had promised me, and um, as I'm praying this, uh, there was a guy who's a missionary to, uh, I think, um, I, I had been in, in a round table with him, but that was it, like, I think we'd made eye contact once before, we never spoken, um, and he was on the other end of the room, like 600 plus people, just gets up and beelines over to me and sits down next to me. And he goes, hey, bro, I, I feel like the Lord is telling me to tell you that all these questions you're asking right now, uh, he's going to do, and he's going to turn that question mark into an exclamation point that it will be a symbol of authority for you so that it, it won't be like a, a haphazard, but instead you're going to stand on that very, very firmly. Oh, I start ugly crying. Like, right, I'm just like, ah, right? I'm like pulling like, and I, I, it's, it's a, like, you have to be super emotional to pull a strange man's head next to yours. You're like, ah, right, but I, I, I did. Um, but, it, but it ministered to my heart so much to know that my, it, do, do, I, do I always know that God sees me? Yeah. But sometimes you really know, you know? Uh, look, man, if, if you've never had an encounter with the Spirit, I just feel sorry for you. Like, if you're, if you're somebody that's like, 
Like, oh, that's nice, but I don't need that. What is it that you think this is? Do you just read a book and you die? Or do you know that the same Jesus who died for your sin and rose from the dead has sent the Holy Spirit onto the earth right now and that you can encounter the living God? Am I saying that the scriptures are not enough? No. I'm telling you, you can know God, though. So look, as we wrap up, I just want to take a second, because I know the question becomes like, Bert, I want that, or how do I hear God? Okay, like here's, here, can I, like when we offer class, I'll give you it in one sentence. You want to learn to know when the Lord is speaking to you, if you're in Christ? It's really, really simple. Spend time with him. And the more you spend time with God, the more you'll begin to recognize when he's talking. You'll see the different ways that he talks to you. It might be through visions. It might be through a voice. It might be, through, you know, you open the scriptures and the words kind of leap off the pages at you. But, it, but like, if there's something, as I'm talking about this, and there's just something in your heart that's just saying, like, I want to hear the voice of the Lord. Here's your next step. Spend time with him. And you go, like, well, I've got all this going on. Make a choice. You can't have your cake and eat it, too. You either make it the priority to spend time with him or you don't. But here's what I would tell you. You can have his voice. You spend time with him. So let me pray for us, and then we'll be done for the morning, okay? So here's what we're going to pray. Father, I thank you because you still speak. I thank you because you're faithful to his faith. Lord, I pray for the one who desires to know your voice in the quiet place. Would you speak to them? Would you draw them into your heart this week so that they would know you better? and begin to recognize when you're talking. Lord, I also pray for some divine appointments where they would be around the right person and you would just speak to them a prophetic word so that they can know that you have things to say to them. They would know that you're mindful of them, that you see what's happening in their specific life. You're not shocked by it. You're not put off by it. But instead, you wish to encourage, strengthen, and comfort them. Pray all these things. Through Jesus, who has made this possible, Lord Jesus, we were your enemies, and yet you chose to die for us, to wipe away our sin, to, to give us new life. You rose from the dead to give us new life, to fill us with your spirit. And this gift of salvation is free. We haven't earned it. You've given it freely. So the ones who are like, Man, I don't even know God. Um, if you would turn from your sin and turn to him, if you would say, I believe Jesus died for my sin, rose from the dead. Let me encourage you just to invite him into your life. He'll take you up on it. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We do this all in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Bless you guys. You have a great rest of your Sunday, okay? We'll, we'll see you later.